Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for joining me this week. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe and rate and review this podcast if you enjoy it, because that definitely will help. Um, so I appreciate the people that have already done that. Um, okay, today we are talking about Shabbat. And if you are not aware, Shabbat is um, the Sabbath for Jewish people. Um, so I have long been fascinated with Jewish culture. If you have been listening to my podcast for literally any amount of time, you know that I have been doing like kind of a deep dive into Jewish culture and now recently kind of randomly Scottish and Irish culture, but that is besides the point for today. Um, but I'm always really interested in Jewish holidays because I am a Christian and our roots are in the Jewish people, Jewish culture, all of that. So that's like where the Christian faith has its roots. So I am always a little bit confused and I'm going to be doing more history digging about why this was, but I feel like a lot of Jewish holidays still apply to today and decisions that the early, early Christians made, made this divide between Jewish holidays and Christian holidays. Now, some don't apply anymore really because Jesus came and like fulfilled what the holiday kind of is supposed to mean. For example, like the Day of Atonement, which some Messianic Jews still celebrate, but in a different way. That is also beside the point. The point is things like the Day of Atonement, which is where Jews will repent and ask forgiveness for their sins. And it's like their last uh, day of the year to like make everything right with God, to like get in right standing with God and all of that kind of thing. That, I, in my opinion, doesn't really apply to Christians anymore because Jesus is our everlasting atonement. Like, he died permanently for our sins. Uh, or he, I mean, he died for our sins, rose again, you know, to permanently atone for our sins. So, things like that don't really apply anymore. Now, things like Shabbat, though, which was what we're doing today, I feel like very much do apply. And we have kind of the same version, but it's really not that similar in practice now to how Jewish people celebrate. So I wanted to go over the history of Shabbat, how I'm kind of familiar with Shabbat, like what we used to do um, for it, even though we're not Jewish technically, but um, just want to go over the customs and the history and all of that, like what, what you do on a Shabbat. So let's get into this episode. So let's get into it. As I mentioned in the intro, my family and I have celebrated Shabbat before, which might be confusing to a lot of like American Christians because we have lost complete touch with our Jewish roots, with our like, with any roots of like pre-Jesus culture, I feel. So um, let me explain a little bit. My family is very knowledgeable about Jewish culture as like the roots of Christianity. My aunt and uncle lived over in Israel for a period of time. They got married in Israel. They met in Israel. And for a long time, I've just been like, I've just learned about Jewish culture from them. My uncle also has a, like a Jewish studies degree. So, um, 
yeah, he knows a lot about Jewish culture. Uh, so my family used to like host Shabbat dinners and not really like an Orthodox Shabbat family would. It was more like the spirit of Shabbat, if that makes sense. It's more like, hey, we're all going to get together on a Friday night and have like family time. We would do some Bible readings, I think, and have like a special celebratory meal on Fridays. So that's how I have known about Shabbat. That's how I've like been familiar with it. And honestly, those are some of the, my best memories as a kid is like having Shabbat dinners. Like, I don't know, in some of my more socially awkward phases of life, I did not want to hang out with my friends on Friday nights. I really wanted to have like a family gathering and do like a Shabbat dinner. I really, really loved those. It made me just very happy to have the entire family there having like this special Friday night meal. So I am very, very partial to the idea of like when I have kids actually doing more of a formal like Shabbat dinner. Um, but let's get into what it is because you might be confused if you are just completely unfamiliar with what Shabbat is. So let's do a little outline of that. So Shabbat is the Jewish day of rest. So now in like modern Christianity, it's seen, Sunday is seen as the seventh day and the day that you rest. Well, in Jewish culture, it's Saturday. So it's a 24-hour period that actually starts on Friday night, and it started with this special meal called Shabbat dinner, and that kicks off the Sabbath day, which is into, like it goes from Friday at sundown to Saturday around sundown, like an hour after sundown. So it's about 25 hours that it lasts. And so it's the day of rest. There's a lot of things that you are not allowed to do, like you know, and there's varying degrees of how people stick to this. So like Orthodox Jews will make sure they do not work at all on a Saturday. Whereas some more um, reformed Jews, I think they're, yeah, the website I um, am referencing for all this is like reformed. It's, it's a reformed Jewish website. So, and I'll link it below, of course. So, um, there's varying degrees of how people obey this, but in the Bible multiple times and in the Torah, it says to set aside a day where you are not working. So people will go from Friday night to Saturday night and completely not work. It's a complete day of rest, a time to spend with your family, and it's meant to rejuvenate you and recharge you for the week ahead. So like, the whole idea of this is like, we have a lot of work to do for the kingdom of God. You know, there's a lot of work to be done. God made the earth in six days, but he commanded us to take one day to rest and recharge. Otherwise you're just going to get burnt out and it is going to be bad. <laughs> like you're not going to be as productive. You're not going to get as much done. You're not going to be as effective for the kingdom if you are constantly tired. So this is part of the fulfillment of the command to keep one day sacred, holy, and to completely rest on that day. Um, okay. So there's a website that I found called AJWS. It's like an organization for human rights within the context of like Jewish culture and, you know, and Judaism. And they gave 
I'll link their website below too, but they basically say that, you know, they encourage you to host a Shabbat dinner. They give you like talking points. They give you, well, not talking points, just discussions to like get the discussion to social justice and human rights and things like that. Um, there's like donations for this. It's like a Jewish uh, charity. So I'll link them below, but their website was helpful, but it was helpful in the context of like, okay, they want you to talk about their organization and like donate to their organization pretty much. So I went on another um, website that I will also link that was for a reformed uh, Jewish community. And I got the whole kind of breakdown of what they actually do uh, or of what Shabbat consists of for a reformed Jewish family. So things are not going to be pronounced correctly, but I'm going to go through this and try my best. So the first thing, and this is why I said that there were going to be some pronunciation issues because the very first thing is something that I don't think I can really pronounce. It's called Zedaka. Um, so that means in many households, they precede, precede the Shabbat ceremony and the whole Shabbat event by giving or contributing money to those in need. So I think that's how this, this like AJWS foundation kind of plays into that because a lot of people donate or they do their like weekly tithe, uh, before Shabbat and donate it to a cause or charity, which I think is really good. I like making giving kind of like a, an event like that. You know, it seems like it's the whole family has a say in it. The whole family knows where you're contributing to it to. And I just think that's good, especially if you have kids to like see for them to see that you're giving. So I like that. Um, okay. Then there's special greetings that you usually say on Shabbat. And there's a couple different ones depending on where you are or where you're from traditionally. So one greeting is good Shabbos. <laughs> oh gosh, very sorry to anyone who speaks Hebrew and I am not pronouncing that correctly. Um, which that means have a good Sabbath. That is more common with Ashkenazi Jews and those of like European ancestry. And then other places besides that, it didn't specify necessarily, but um, people that are not Ashkenazi or European tend to use Shabbat Shalom, which means have a peaceful Sabbath. So those are the greetings that are typically used. Then you get into kind of the proceedings of Shabbat. So here is the rundown of how the Shabbat dinner goes. Again, this goes from Shabbat as a whole, like the Sabbath goes from Friday night to Saturday night. But Shabbat dinner is an event that kicks that off and it is on Friday night. So first there are Shabbat candles. Now this tradition, it says, dates back to 500 BC. Anyone can light them, but traditionally it's the women who light them. So this is, there's a few things like that in here where there will be a difference between how Orthodox Jews celebrate and how Reformed Jews celebrate. So like on this Reformed website, they say anyone can light the candle, but traditionally women light the candle. I'd imagine in the Orthodox circles, women are, are lighting the candles because it's like the more traditional version of these things. So you light at least two candles representing the two passages, passages in the Torah that commands the Shabbat. So the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. So 
I was going to, I think it's Genesis through Numbers. I think Numbers is the fifth one. Um, but in Exodus 20 verse 8, it says, remember to keep the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then in Deuteronomy 5.12, it says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So there's two instances in the first five books that mention the Sabbath. And so you light at least two candles to commemorate those. So you're not supposed to light a fire once the Shabbat has started because it's considered work. So you light them beforehand, before the blessing that kicks off Shabbat, um, so that you kind of get around that. Now, here's an interesting note on the whole candle thing. I'm going to read this from the website. It says, according to customary observance, one would not light a fire once Shabbat has begun. Thus, we light the candles before saying the blessing because the blessing is what marks the beginning of Shabbat. However, since a blessing always precedes an act, some people wave their hands in front of themselves three times before covering their eyes and reciting the blessing, ensuring they do not see the burning candles until after the blessing has been completed. Although the custom of waving our hands is not drawn from any known text, it has been passed down for many generations. So this is one of the things that's just tradition where again, like nothing specifies it in the text, but for a long, long time, people who celebrate Shabbat usually wave their hands or close their eyes or put their hands in front of their eyes so that they don't see the candle burning before the blessing is said um, because they need to like kick off Shabbat. So I thought that was really an interesting part that I had not heard of before. Um, Okay, then you bless the children uh, before you eat. And so the children will go in front of the parents with their heads like bowed and parents will place hands on the children's head. There is this whole practice of blessing the children derives from the story of Jacob blessing his grandsons. So again, they put their hands, uh, the parents put their hands on the child's bowed head and recite the blessing. Now this again, the blessing traditionally is different for boys and girls. So I believe the girls' ones, the girls' blessing says like, may you be like Sarah and Ruth and and that. And I think I've heard that blessing before. And then the boys have their own separate blessing. Now this reformed site, again, is less like strictly traditional. So they said, you know, traditionally the blessings are different, but there's no reason why we can't recite the blessings of all of our ancestors to every child. So they don't really care as much about gender-specific blessings as maybe Orthodox Jews do. Okay, then there is a blessing over the wine. So wine is a very important part of the whole um, Shabbat or grape juice if you don't drink. But this is kind of the backstory about the wine. So this is from the website as well, the Reformed website. It says, one of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath day to sanctify it. Now the word remember there is zakor. I think I'm saying that right, Zakor. So it says, We understand this commandment to mean that we must declare Shabbat to be holy. The sages pointed out that the word Zakor is often associated with wine, and thus the mitzvah, which is like a tradition or a, an event basically, thus the mitzvah of sanctifying Shabbat is done with wine in, bl- in a blessing called Kiddush, Kiddush, which I've talked about before. Um, with a different holiday. What was it? I think it was, it might've been Sukkot, honestly, where they bless the wine. So they they do a very similar thing here. 
Um, I think there's some extra added steps in the blessing of the wine in certain holidays, but for like a normal Shabbat, they use a certain blessing. There's three parts of the blessing or the Kiddush. Um, so the three parts are, or the three sections of the Kiddush are, an, you read an excerpt from Genesis. It's 131 through 2-3. So Genesis 2-3. Um, and that in that section, it describes how God rested on the seventh day, blessed the seventh day, and hallowed the day. So you're kind of remembering why you're even doing a Shabbat. Then you say the blessing over the wine, and then you say the blessing over the whole Shabbat like event. Uh, so then there is... Okay, then it also says that they do this because wine, I mean, other than the whole thing about like wine and the root word of, of, um, remember being associated with wine. Uh, the other kind of reason that wine is given is because it helps lend a celebratory feeling to the Shabbat meal and it distinguishes the meal as special and festive. So this isn't just your old, like, this isn't like a Tuesday night dinner. This is a Friday night Shabbat. And so since it's like a special occasion, you can break out the wine and it makes it feel festive. Okay, then after the wine blessing, you bless the challah bread. So the challah refers to a special twisted loaf of bread eaten by Jews on Shabbat. So you can either buy it at the store or make your own. I really want to make challah bread just to see how hard it is and like maybe throw my own Shabbat. So I might be doing like a YouTube video on that at some point. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be really fun. But yeah, you can choose to make your own or buy it. There's no real rule. It doesn't sound like for that. But the reason we do that is, or let's see. Okay. So here is a little thing from this reform website that I thought was very interesting that I will now read. It says, as detailed in the book of Numbers, the first portion of your kneading, you shall separate as a dough offering, challah. In all your generations, give the first of your kneading as an elevated gift to God. So that was in Numbers 15, 20 through 21. So they say, when preparing challah, therefore, it is a mitzvah or tradition to take out a piece of the dough before braiding or baking the challah that gets burned in the oven. So they take out a piece and you burn it in the oven. This is from the mitzvah that, uh, that the word for challah originates. So challah actually means that part of the dough that is a sacrifice to God, but they just call the whole loaf a challah loaf now. Okay, so then they say that performing the taking of challah, which is like eating the challah bread, um, is a time to ask for blessings and healings for those who are ill. So in ancient times, that little piece of dough that we they break off and now burn in the oven, originally it was given to the priests as like, we went over this in some of the Bible study podcasts, but... I think, you know, like all the other tribes of Israel would take a tenth and give it to the priests and the priests wouldn't have to like work. They, they did all the temple work and they, um, I mean, I mean, they didn't have to work in the sense like they weren't plowing fields and stuff. They didn't have their own land to work. Um, everyone else would give their 10% to, um, the Levites 
who were the priests. So that part of the dough traditionally, like in ancient times, was given to the priests. Okay, so it's traditional for there to be two shallot, which is the plural of um, hala or hala <laughs> bread. Um, so there's two loaves that are usually used on Shabbat, which represent the double portion of manna that fell in the desert. So again, the, this is nice that it's referencing all Old Testament stuff, obviously, because it's like a Jewish holiday, but um, because we are almost through the entire Old Testament on the Bible study episodes. So I actually know what it's talking about, which is really nice. So when they were wandering in the desert, manna would fall or manna would appear, you know, on the ground. God would give them their daily portion. Well, on Friday nights, I guess it would be your Fridays, he would give do a double portion so that the next day they could rest and not go collect manna. So that's why most people use two hollow bread loaves um, to represent that double portion. Okay, so then there's a blessing of thanks that said before any of the food is eaten. Before serving, challah is covered, it says, with a special decorative cloth. It doesn't technically have to be a decorative cloth, I don't think so. I don't think, but that's like traditionally what uh, is used. Then if a knife is to be used, it's also covered. And it's supposed to remind um, everyone there about the importance of dignity and peace. So it has more dignity. It's not like, it doesn't sit uncovered like a plain loaf of bread. Again, this is kind of like setting it apart as special and as like an event that is important. So you wouldn't just have it sitting out like a normal loaf of bread. You're going to cover it and like take extra care of it basically. Then you cover the knife if a knife is going to be used because um, that's a reminder of peace. You, you don't want to... Um, see something that could be used as a weapon basically so by covering it it's like a reminder that there's peace um but a lot of times a knife it sounds like isn't actually used it sounds like um a large amount of time people will just rip the hollow bread um instead of cutting it which seems kind of more practical anyway i guess depending on how soft or hard your hollow bread is um okay so following the kiddush um, the hala is uncovered, there's a blessing recited, the hala is sliced or broken, and then it's traditional to salt your piece or chunk of the hala bread because it, it's like connected to the fact that sacrifices were made in the temple, um, or, or sacrifices that were made in the temple were salted as offerings, like the offerings were always salted. So it's traditional, sounds like another thing that's kind of split between Reform and Orthodox Jews. I would, I think that Orthodox Jews usually salt their challah bread and Reformed could kind of go either way, but that is the tradition. And then it says you just rest and enjoy the day. So um, you don't have to do anything else. You, you kick off the meal. That blessing is basically what kicks off the meal. You eat and you just spend time with your family and whoever you're hosting for Hala. Now, here's another thing. You're not allowed to do a decent amount of stuff on Saturdays uh, if you're Jewish, like if, especially if you're Orthodox. You're not allowed to drive a car because that's considered work. And so um, there a lot of Orthodox Jews will live very, very close to their 
temple or their, um, what's it called? It's not a temple, a synagogue, because you're not allowed to, I mean, you have to go to synagogue, but you're not allowed to drive. So a lot of people live within walking distance of their synagogue if you follow that no driving rule. Also, if you invite someone over for Shabbat, I was thinking about this like a little bit later, and I guess I don't really know the answer. Maybe you just spend all day with them the next day. But if you invite guests over for Shabbat dinner and you're all very strict about what you can't do on Saturday, if you invite someone over for Shabbat dinner and you kick off Shabbat and then you you can't drive, like if those people live kind of far away or drove there, they cannot drive back. So I'm wondering if they just stay all day or walk home and it has to be kind of all within walking distance. Um, but okay, so I found this website that says kind of some of the things you cannot do on Saturdays or on Shabbat. So, okay, this is very interesting because there's a lot of prep work that goes into Shabbat. So let's go through this. So it says, let's start with some basic activities from which we refrain from on Shabbat. Writing, erasing, and tearing, business transactions, driving or riding in cars or other vehicles. So that's a good point. I thought that maybe on Shabbat, like they could Uber home. You know, if you already set up your Uber car ride beforehand, you could Uber home after Shabbat. Well, no, because you're not supposed to ride in other cars either. Cannot shop, use the telephone. Um, It says turning on or off anything which uses electricity, including lights, radios, television, computer, air conditioners, and alarm clocks. Cooking, baking, or kindling a fire, gardening and grass mowing, and doing laundry. Those are just like some of the basics they said. Which, this is always where, like, me being like a full Orthodox Jew, not that I would be Jewish because I believe in Jesus, but this is where it always kind of loses me because never does it say that you can't, like, turn on a light. You know, like, I don't know if the... I don't think the Bible is that restrictive where God meant like you can't turn on a light. I think there's been, you know, he set out the basic set of rules in the the Bible or the Torah and then people not wanting to break the rules, like in an effort to not break the rules, have added many, many layers of rules onto that rule, you know, to say like you can't work. Maybe that means turning on a light. So don't turn on a light, you know? So I think the amount of rules might be excessive on some of these things, which I guess would mean that I'm, you know, I think I'm more aligned there with like reformed Judaism because Orthodox Jews definitely try to keep to all these very strict rules. Whereas reformed Jews, I think it's much less strict and they'll like turn on a light and stuff. But so it continues because it knows where everyone's mind goes on that and says, does this does all this mean that Shabbat is somewhat of a miserable affair where we sit hungry in the dark? Not at all. It simply means that we have to prepare for Shabbat in advance so that, on the contrary, we celebrate in luxury without doing any of the actual work on Shabbat. For example, lights will be needed on Shab- lights which will be needed on Shabbat are turned on before Shabbat. Automatic timers may be used for lights and some appliances as long as they have been set before Shabbat. The refrigerator may be used, but again, we have to ensure that it does not... Wait. 
the refrigerator may be used, but again, we have to ensure that its use does not engender any of the forbidden Shabbat activities. Thus, the fridge light should be disconnected before Shabbat by unscrewing the bulb slightly, and a freezer whose fan is activated when the door is opened may not be used. Another example, we may not cook or light a fire, so we cook before the Shabbat and keep the food warm through special methods that do not violate any Shabbat pro uh, prohibitions. So there's a whole ways to prepare this food beforehand. I'm assuming like the oven is turned on or kept, you know, to keep the food warm so you don't actually have to turn it on on Shabbat or make a fire or anything like that. Okay, so talking about that, um, the food rules and like heating up the food and what the different rules are for that, it kind of got me wondering like how they actually, how you're actually supposed to warm food for Shabbat because you have to eat the next day. Like I understand that you can cook and everything on uh, Friday night because you're doing all of that before um, Shabbat is actually kicked off. So work is totally fine. And that's when most of the preparation happens. But then once it gets to like Saturday morning, how do you warm up any food? So I found this good website about how to do that and what some of the you know food specific rules are in more detail. So this says, do not put any uncooked food or beverage on a hot burner in a heated oven in a crock pot that is on or in a heated urn on Shabbat itself. And then it says, moreover, there are many food rules that apply even to fully cooked foods. So it says, do not heat any liquids on Shabbat, water or even fully cooked soup or stew. Anything that can be poured out needs to be put on the heat. So that means in an urn, crock pot or on the stove and left there before Shabbat. So that I was kind of right about. I didn't think about a crock pot, which actually would be a really good idea. You can plug the crock pot in before Shabbat, put all the super stew in and let it just be on warm for like throughout the night and then into the next day. So that's how you would, would do that. It says, do not reheat even solid food that has cooled down from the refrigerator, for example, either by putting it right in the stove or in the oven. So you're not allowed to do that. This will render it prohibited to be eaten on Shabbat for you and your guests. You can reheat cold, solid, pre-cooked food by adhering to any one of the following procedures. Putting it on a warming tray, a plata in Hebrew, which cannot be adjusted. So you're supposed to tape the knob on there to, that like sets it to the temperature to make sure that you aren't actually warming it on accident. Or, sorry, you aren't adjusting the temperature on accident. Then you can put it on a non-bleck, which is a pan of water covered by another pan. Um, I don't exactly know how that works. It's just a pan of water covered by another pan, not just a plain sheet of metal, which is called a bleck. Okay, so I think the idea of this is that the water is hot like throughout the entire Shabbat, so then you put your food on it to warm it, but you can't like make that water hot during Shabbat. Or you can put it in a warming drawer or cupboard, which is designed just to warm, not to cook. Um, okay, so the reheating has a decent amount of rules. They say to eat hot food on Shabbat if you can. It is a misguided custom to only eat cold food, unless that's what you like. Um, but they encourage you to eat hot food. Okay, 
so then there's do's and do nots. So I'm going to read some of these. So it says do make sure that any food you serve is at least one half cooked before Shabbat starts 18 minutes after candle lighting. For example, if you're making colant, <laughs> make sure you put it in with enough hours to make it minimally edible, hard, chewy, but edible before Shabbat. If it takes five hours to be ready to serve, even if normally it's served after 12 hours, the rabbis estimated one half of that would allow it to be minimally edible, meaning that you could have it two and a half hours. You could, wait, that you have to give it two and a half hours to cook before Shabbat starts. So that's kind of complicated. This is all getting more and more complicated. Like the idea to me, I mean, I guess I knew there were a lot of rules, but the idea to me surrounding Shabbat was just like spend a day with your family and, um, don't work like in the traditional sense of like, I'm not going to work. I'm not logging onto my work computer. I'm not like, you know, maybe that's your rest day of exercise. You go to church and you just avoid anything that's like actually strenuous, like house chores. Like I wouldn't do laundry on Shabbat, let's say, but I did not remember, or I guess think about like the fact that Orthodox Jews, like have to have very, very strict laws about how long they have to be cooking things before Shabbat, because if it's after Shabbat, that's considered work or like unscrewing your refrigerator light bulb was something that never crossed my mind. Um, okay. They said, do not stir the food in the crock pot or on a heated stove once Shabbat comes in at the very least until it's fully cooked. It is preferable to remove the ceramic insert of the crock pot before transferring the contents to a serving dish. Uh, okay. Do feel free to offer your guests tea or coffee. However, since brewing tea or coffee may be considered cooking, please follow the special Shabbat procedures. You may use instant coffee or tea or essence that is made before Shabbat by putting several tea bags in a cup of hot water, or you may make tea by the most common technique. Uh, okay. There's this, it's called tertiary vessel tea. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Hebrew. Make sure that the tea bag only is immersed into a cup of water that has been twice transferred from the urn or kettle. For example, hot water is poured from the urn, primary vessel, to into a teapot or carafe, secondary vessel, and from there to each person's cup, tertiary vessel. Once it is in their cup, they can then put the tea bag without any fear of cooking. The water is still piping hot, just a little cooler than it was in the urn. So then it says, do not be scared or intimidated. These laws are meant to be doable. And if you make a mistake, that is exactly what the rules were designed for to protect the basic Torah laws of not cooking and not using fire on Shabbat. Please speak to the rabbi. If you have any questions, doubts or issues regarding any of these standards. So it all seems very complicated. I know they say that it's meant to be doable, but I don't know if like, I <laughs> like, I want to start doing Shabbats at some point. Because I think the, you know, the idea of like actually setting aside a rest day is valuable. And I am so bad. I've talked about this before. I'm so bad at having a, an actual rest day. I think it's not emphasized in our culture at all. So it's just been in the last like six months that I've really been like, I need a full day of actually resting. Um, but not a lot of, I don't think a lot of Christians in America now are like doing a full day of rest. They maybe go to church and call it good there. So 
I do need to get way better at that. Now, I don't know if I like necessarily agree with having all these rules on rules on rules. Like, I don't think opening the fridge necessarily is work um, just because of the light bulb, you know? So I feel like, again, like a lot of these rules have been extracted from the original rules. So I think if I did Shabbat at this point, I would probably just go back to the more relaxed rules and be like, don't actually work. Maybe don't work out. Don't do the laundry that kind of thing. Um, and that I can kind of get on board with, but it is interesting to see, like, I've learned a lot this episode about what Orthodox Jews actually follow. And it's very admirable. Like that is, it's hard. So, um, oh, my cat says hi. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's all for this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. I will see you on Thursday for our Bible study episode, which I'm looking forward to. Bye everyone.